Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Coming to you from my house in Los Angeles, it's Bullseye. I'm Jordan Morris, in for Jesse Thorne. I'm the co-host of Jordan Jesse Go here at Maximum Fun, and I'm also a comedy writer who created the sci-fi comedy fiction podcast, Bubble. My guest, Rose Byrne, has been acting for over 25 years. She was born and raised near Sydney, Australia, but quickly made a name for herself in the States. She had a breakout role in the FX series Damages. She played Ella Parsons. She's acted in movies like Knowing and Get Him to the Greek, and the comedy classic Bridesmaids. She played Helen, the filthy rich antagonist to Kristen Wiig's Annie. It's funny how people change, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, do people really change? Mm, I think they do. Yeah, but I mean, they still stay who they are, pretty much. I think we change all the time. I think we stay the same, but grow, I guess, a little bit. I think if you're growing, then you're changing. But I mean, we're changing from who we are, which we always stay as. Not really. I don't think so. I think so. I don't. (laughs) Now she's starring alongside Steve Carell in Irresistible. It's a political comedy directed by Jon Stewart. It's a movie about a small town in Wisconsin where the race for mayor becomes a national sensation. Money and strategists from both parties arrive. Rose Byrne plays Faith Brewster, the Republican nemesis of Carell's Gary Zimmer. Let's hear a clip. This scene is from early in the movie. Faith has just arrived in Deer Lock in Wisconsin, and wouldn't you know it, she runs into her rival, Gary. Deer Lock in always, so apparently Deer Lock in Uberalis was copyrighted. Well, we were gonna go with I'm with him until we remembered how stupid it sounded. No, 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 I love it. I love the whole town genealogy angle. It's got a real bold, you ain't from around here flavor. (laughs) Subtle notes of xenophobia. (laughs) Not to mention the cognitive dissonance that your booth is basically a love letter to immigration. That's a great observation. So all these people are hypocrites? I'd run with that. All you have is fear. Now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) 20 bucks says I do better with fear than you do with shame. Uh, Rose Byrne, welcome to Bullseye. Thank you. So uh, I want to talk about your new movie, uh, Irresistible. And I think the best way to start the conversation is by talking about what I think is your character's first scene in the movie, you exit the scene by very aggressively uh, licking Steve Carell's face. What what was it like to film this moment just as an actor? And also, why do you think that's a good introduction to this character? Well, that was my first day on set. It was the first time I'd met Steve, the first time I'd met John. The first day is the licking scene? Oh my gosh. First day was the licking scene. So we shot it in sequence, you know, we shot our conversation first and then we, at the end, we set up for the the lick. And I remember (laughs) I was far too timid initially and John, John sort of had to act it out for me. (laughs) Yeah. I realized quickly then that, that, um, it's an intimidation tactic by, by faith. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's not a nervous person by any means and um, she really delights in the um, the sort of the terrors of her job, I think. So, but as an actress, it was a very, one of the more strange meetings, <laughs> first scenes I've had to do. <laughs> and I, um, yeah, I also had a lot of earrings and a lot of like bags and shoes and all this extra stuff. 
uh, going on. And Steve was very funny, though. We laughed a lot, which was good. There was a lot of laughing in between takes and laughing, trying on, the, and then trying to not laugh so we could get through it. <laughs> but once I realized how, how aggressive she had to be, it was a good, uh, a good. It was a good introduction in that sense. So your character in this is fictional, but it's it's obviously based on you know real people, real people who work in Washington, uh, real people who work in media. Did you study any particular real world people for this role? A few. I mean, John immediately pointed me toward the very well known documentary from the '90s called The War Room. You know that Penny Baker documentary, and it's um it's just got great footage between James Corville and Mary Madeline and their dynamic and their relationship being on opposite sides, but also being in this romantic relationship and the kind of chemistry that they had. He really was inspired by with Faith and Gary. Look, Zim, y'all punched your ticket on a changing demographic and now Whitey don't want you back. Okay, Jeb, exclamation point. So why are you here? Because I enjoy demoralizing you because crushing the last piece of hope in your eyes really gets me off. You are a twisted faith. And you don't know Jack. Please don't tell me that is the campaign slogan you came up with. This guy, Sim, he's not the last Jedi. And even if he were, I'd still crush him because that's what I do. You realize in that analogy, you're Darth Vader. Whatever you say, nerd. It's good to see you. Yeah. You look fat. <laughs> I mean, I looked at everyone from, you know, your Megan Kellys to Kellyanne Conway, all those sort of various strategists or members of the White House team or, um, you know, yeah, pundits. A particular, you know, the right, a Republican female strategist is a very particular type because there's not many of them. They have to have a certain sort of brashness or loudness about them and uh it's a very specific type really (laughs) that that that, uh that that, that type personality type of look usually as well so i was trying to capture that it was a lot of fun a lot of fun to do So, so this movie has a is a pretty uh you know on its sleeve political message and you know it's it's coming out in an election year, what did you think about signing on to a movie that has such a clear message in a time that, you know, people are extra cognizant of politics? Is it is it nerve-wracking at all, having something like this come out in a time like this? Well, I certainly, a year ago when we shot it, I did not realize there would be a... a global pandemic unlike anything <laughs> since 1918 right. or whatever yes. and that there would be a you know a reckoning of the racial you know injustice in this country and the police force in this country and you know, we certainly didn't know that it would be so uh contentious and unprecedented really in 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 the in the time that we're in right now it was definitely we were in the midst of the trump administration which was already so tumultuous and unpredictable um but now of course where we are now no one could have no one could have predicted so it's uh I'm grateful the film's coming out at all. You know, these things you don't know. So many things are being affected in the business. So I think it's exciting that it's getting a release on demand. And and so that that's it, it's, a, it's a bit, um, yeah, I guess it's taken on even more weight because it is a, 
it's a political film in a time when this election is perhaps one of the most, you know, it's got to be up there with the most important elections of in history, really. So, <laughs> and this film is about how we vote. So, you know, I hope, I hope people vote. I hope people can are inspired to vote after seeing it. I'd love to hear more about what John Stewart is like as a director. Um, he strikes me as a guy who's pretty who's pretty private. You know, since he left TV, he's you know he kind of only pops up occasionally for interviews and appearances. Yeah, what is he like as a guy, and what is he like as a director? Mm. He's very he's John's really disarming. You know, he's so uh, warm and friendly and down to earth, but absolutely private for sure. There's a, myst- a mystery about him, but very affable and friendly to everybody and anybody. There's no airs and graces. There's no sort of uh, he's not a snob in any way. You know, he's really quite disarming with how down to earth he is. Uh, and as a director, you know it. He's really collaborative and it was a lot of technical politico speak and slang and things that I struggled. Like I, I was like, oh, I kind of understand the system and I'll be fine. And I quickly realized, oh, I am I do not understand a lot of this. So <laughs> having him <laughs> shorthand, trying to explain stuff to me on the fly, you know, it was a short shoot. We didn't have much time or money and it was by no means a big production. So he was really collaborative and would adjust things on the fly. So very flexible, you know not precious about stuff, really like, you know what, that doesn't work, that's too wordy. This is, he's, he's very critical of his own um, writing and, he, you know, he's very quick to change things and adjust stuff to make it better, always looking to improve things and very enthusiastic, really one of the crew, you know, um, super energetic. Uh, and because it was such of his world too, this lampooning of, of politics, both sides, you know, no one is kind of spared. Uh, it was really a pleasure because uh, he it's such his field, no? So it was great to – you felt I felt very safe in, in um, with him driving the ship. More with Rose Byrne in just a minute. Coming up, is there a language barrier between Australians and Americans? According to Rose Byrne, yes. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for this podcast comes from HelloFresh. Get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with the meal kit delivery service, HelloFresh. Make home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. There's something for everyone, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and family-friendly recipes. Listeners can go to HelloFresh.com slash Bullseye80, that's Bullseye80, and use code Bullseye80 to get $80 off, including free shipping on the first box. Additional restrictions apply. Visit HelloFresh.com. Bria Grant, an e-reader who loves spoilers and chocolate. And I'm Mallory O'Mara, a print book collector who will murder you if you spoil a book for me. And we're the hosts of Reading Glasses, a podcast designed to help you read better. Over the past few years, we've figured out why people read. Self-improvement. Escapism. To distract ourselves from the world burning down. And why they don't. Not enough time. Not knowing what to read. And being overwhelmed by the number on their TBR list. And we're here to help you with that. We will help you conquer your TBR pile while probably adding a bunch of books to it. Reading glasses. Every week on MaximumFun.org. These days, Chelsea Handler tries to keep her and her friend's white privilege in check. She starts, like, really getting weepy, and I was like, well, what what are you doing right now? You just said you read White Fragility. You cannot talk about reading White (laughs) Fragility and start to cry. 
comedian Chelsea Handler on white privilege and a new book. Listen to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jordan Morris, in for Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to Rose Byrne. You've seen her in movies like Bridesmaids and on TV shows like Damages. She stars alongside Steve Carell in Irresistible, the new political comedy directed by Jon Stewart. You can stream it now. Let's get back to the interview. I'd love to talk about the stuff that led you to where you are now. I read that you went to a performing arts high school. I'd love to hear more about that and maybe specifically what kind of material you were doing in high school. Was it, you know, Neil Simon? Was it uh, Shakespeare? Was it a little bit of everything? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I did. Yeah, I went to this. I left one high school and I went to another sort of a little bit more of an artistic school. <laughs> it was also full of a lot of people who dropped out of other schools and they couldn't get in anywhere else. So they went to this college. <laughs> I actually don't think it exists anymore called Bradfield College. But um, in any case, it was definitely a lot of interesting types there. And um, we did a lot of self-devised work <laughs> at Bradfield College. <laughs> it was more It was more really through... Uh, my time at the Australian Theatre for Young People, ATYP, which is a, a theatre youth group that I sort of fell in love with more like material-based stuff and really studying English literature at school because you always, you know, you're reading all of the classics and the whether it's um, Shakespeare or Ibsen or, um, you know, Arthur Miller or, or whomever. So it was sort of a combination of lots of experiences growing up of seeing the theatre, uh, studying and at school really kind of informed informed it all but I started very young yeah I was eight when I started classes like at the youth at the youth theater group and then um 13 when I got my first professional job in Australia when you got to that performing arts group and you kind of were kind of immersed in this world of other theater people were you like oh this is it I've found my tribe I did I did feel that yes not to sound sort of cheesy and sentimental but I did find you know I'm Australian after all okay we don't believe in any of that mushy stuff uh, I did yeah I did feel like that at when I went to ATYP I did yeah I, I loved it I was very young and I used to go with a bunch of kids from my neighborhood and we would get the ferry across to Circular Quay and it was in this old beat-up warehouse and um, it was magical I loved it I was very much at home and I was shy I wasn't a particularly um uh, I don't know. You put me in a group and I'm quite quiet, but within the context of drama and imagination and all that stuff, I found it really fun and liberating. So um, I was one of those weird, quiet actors because <laughs> um, we're, all, we're all a bit different, but, um, but some actors I think can be kind of shy. But, and I was definitely then, but I did. I did feel like that. I felt like I had found a sort of a, fun, a, a group that I was um, very easily easily kind of adapted to. You mentioned doing, you know, Shakespeare and Ibsen and things like that. Did this kind of early training of yours, did it include any like sketch comedy or improv or anything like that? No, I mean, you do that in um, an ATYP. I remember we had a game called Space Jump, which was all sort of improvised and stuff. I mean, it's all games when you're little and the sort of the more serious texts and stuff come later on but the the serious improv comedy that I didn't wasn't exposed to until I did um I started working with with you know Nick Stoller and Judd Apatow and Paul Feig and Seth Rogen and and all those 
all, uh, you know, and Melissa and Kristen Wiig and all the girls from Bridesmaids. That was really my introduction, uh, really when I did get into the Greek and worked with Russell Brand. And uh, that was my my introduction to the the sort of the improv comedy world. We're jumping around here a little bit, but I really want to talk about the fact that one of your very early film jobs was in a Star Wars movie. You were mm. in uh, Star Wars 2, Attack of the Clones. Before getting that job, were you a Star Wars kid? Oh, I wasn't. <laughs> I can hear a collective groan. Uh, I wasn't. I was one of the like 1% of the world who had never seen Star Wars. I didn't know it. I didn't know the movies. I knew the characters from pop culture, but I didn't know the story. And no, I was like very much in the minority. <laughs> you know, I, I know that, the, you know, like when, you know, kids get into Star Wars at a certain age and people who are serious about it get serious about it at a certain age, I think. Was there anything you were just a super geek about when you were, you know, in junior high, high school? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, when I was really young, I was really into um, a very famous pop singer in Australia called Kylie Minogue, you know, a kind of Australian icon. She's lovely. I've <laughs> since <laughs> met her. But she was, I was a fanatic pop music fan and went to five of her concerts and had all the T-shirts and the albums and the this and the that up until, and it was by no means cool. I was pretty dorky. It wasn't a... I was not as sophisticated, <laughs> you know, it was, it was um, I mean, I look back now and I'm proud of my Kylie days because she's amazing and she's, you know, she's like stood the test of time and she's very charming and smart and funny. And so that was my sort of fanaticism. Um, and the other thing I was really into growing up was this British comedy series called Faulty Towers with John Cleese. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I loved say, John uh, Cleese yeah. and I was obsessed with Basil Fawlty and then I got into all the Monty Python films. So I think my introduction to comedy was quite, was really through that. My father really loved the Faulty Towers. So it was Faulty Towers and Kylie Minogue, which is a pretty strange combination. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's so interesting. I, I think when people think about, you know, British comedy or when people who aren't from the UK think about British comedy, you know, they think of something that is very you know, maybe stuffy and dry, but, you know, Faulty Towers and Python, those are so silly. So silly. And the physical comedy is brilliant. And the more I learned about, you know, they rehearsed for six weeks for every episode of Faulty Towers, which was just, oh, wow. you know, know. The, the, the physical comedy is remarkable and um, they hold up today, you know, and he's, you know, he's like just in the canon of television characters of, of you know, history as far as I'm concerned, Basil Fawlty. So. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's definitely a less, lesser known in the States, I would say. Um, we used to get a lot of, you know, we would get all of the, all of the British programs came to Australia before we had the American program. So when I was growing up, it was more kind of on British television and American television. You mentioned earlier that um, your new movie, Irresistible, is premiering on demand, you know, obviously because of the pandemic, um, you know, theaters aren't open but it also kind of got me thinking about movie premieres being something that can't happen in this uh, in the current climate. Yeah, are you bummed not to be able to see this movie at a premiere, or you know, are those just kind of obligatory appearances that you make because you know you have to? 
I'm cut, you, you adapt so quickly. You sort of go, oh, well, all that's gone. And so you just realize, oh, all the work you have to do to promote it is now through Zoom and all that stuff, and, which is as tedious in its own way or whatever, but not to take anything away from you. <laughs> so I feel bad <laughs> to say that. But you just adapt. Like you don't even think about it. You know what I mean? You just go, oh, yeah, you don't. I, maybe that's just me. I just compartmentalize. But um, what's, what's a bummer is you don't get to see people. Like I would love to see John. And that's a great excuse to see John. We had bonded. You bond with these people. So that's what's the best part about it in a way is to, for me, I love to, you know, see people again and talk and catch up and, you know, you, you know, and this was a really nice experience. And it's not always like that. Like some, obviously every job is different and some things I don't want to talk about at all, but, you know, <laughs> um, and Irresistible and Mrs. America were both very, really fun and really creative and different. So um, that that's disappointing, but you know, in the scale of things, um, it's it's not a big deal. <laughs> the rest of what else is going <laughs> yeah. on in the world. I'm like, ah, I think, I think everyone's okay, but <laughs> I think I need to, you know, look at look at the bigger picture. You gave another interview where you talked about um, the first time you saw bridesmaids and it kind of being under not ideal conditions. Um, I would love to hear more about that and how it kind of changed how you watch your own movies. Well, I saw it, with, it was a press screening and I was kind of snuck in at the back and so it was with a bunch of journalists and um, <laughs> they were really just, everyone was on their Blackberry at that point, back oh, in boy. 2000, whenever. Yeah, that dates it. 11 or something. Um, and wasn't that much laughing except I remember one person down the front was losing it laughing. Uh, <laughs> and so I walked away going, I think it's terrific, but gee, the audience didn't seem to enjoy it that much because... You know, the press is jaded and they see six films a week and they don't, you know, they're not, they're just thinking about the next appointment they have to do or whatever. So it was definitely eye opening. Yeah. I, I thought, oh, wow, this is, this, uh, you just, you just, uh, yeah, I realized it was a, it was a window into that world. So, Rose, you have played a lot of Americans. You're an Australian person, as uh, I'm sure the audience can hear. Um, yeah, it seems to be something that kind of happens a lot in Hollywood. There's a lot of um, Australian actors who play American characters. Um, is there a class that they make you take? Yeah, there is. It's called watching television. Nowadays, <laughs> everything is American. So everyone goes up with all of the sitcoms and all of the films. And, you know, like so it's very much immersed in the American culture. You know, my nephews know all of the... You know, and even sports now, it's so global, all that stuff. But when I was growing up, I mean, yeah, I definitely had classes like for, you know, vocal, um, you know, like accent training and all of that. But I'm, you know, I'm married to an American and he still doesn't understand anything I say. I'll be like, can you, where are my sunglasses? Or can you chuck me my sunnies? And he'll be like, what? What did you say? I, what did you say? So, you know, I, I walk around just talking to myself all day in my house. No one, they don't understand <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's always get. He's like, oh, they cast an Australian. Why are they always casting Australians? Is it? I don't know if it's as popular now, but there definitely was a trend for a while there of Aussie actors coming in and, um, uh, you know, popping up in every sort of every every kind of movie or or TV show or whatever. So we are about out of time, and I think um, you know maybe we have time for one more question. And I I I just had something that that I really want to ask you about this. This is it's a little off topic. It could be, you know, something that we, we cut from the interview, but um, I just really want to know what's Nicholas Cage like. <laughs> um, he is a true eccentric. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were in a great movie with him called knowing. Yeah. And Alex Perez movie. He's a great filmmaker. Um, and uh, 
He's a true eccentric. Yeah, I, I remember we went to an animal park together and he held like a bald eagle and, you know. <laughs> he had permission to hold the bald eagle, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. we had permission to hold everything. I mean, I, we were looking at Tasmanian devils at one point, I remember. Um, but he was a gentleman, absolute gentleman, but absolutely eccentric for sure. There's definitely no, it's definitely not a fabricated thing. And it feels like he's perhaps getting even more eccentric as he gets older, <laughs> which is very entertaining. Sure. Yeah. Well, Rose Byrne, uh, thanks for joining us on Bullseye. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It was Rose Byrne, folks. Her new movie, Irresistible, is available to rent digitally now. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around Greater Los Angeles, where producer Kevin Ferguson made a drink called a shrub out of some extra beets he had lying around. He says it tastes great when paired with sparkling water. His wife says it tastes like salad dressing. And hey, if you enjoyed my talking on Bullseye, uh, why not try Jordan Jesse Go? It's a comedy podcast with me and the usual host of this show, Jesse Thorne. We have on uh, great guests every week and just make them participate in nonsensical nonsense. Uh, it's very dumb and a ton of fun, and I think you'll like it. Uh, Jordan Jesse Go, wherever you get your podcasts. Bullseye is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We also get help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. You can keep up with the show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I guess that's about it. Just remember. All great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.